Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. MotoGP is in hibernation after the conclusion of the 2022 season and the quite eventful postseason test in Valencia, but we are cracking off in the offseason while obviously recharging our batteries a little bit. First on our list is an interview with somebody on the current grid that we've really enjoyed having on and talking to, VR46 Ducati rider Luca Marini. Uh, Luca finished 12th this season. He took a streak of finishing races quite far into the season until his first retirement which was a technical issue although he also crashed and remounted a couple of races before so maybe he doesn't deserve too much credit but yeah uh, you also obviously may know him as Valentino Rossi's half-brother never been quite comfortable with the phrase half-brother I don't really I don't know what it's supposed to mean like he's his brother right we can just say brother yeah we right? can say brother yeah yeah Valentino Rossi's brother Luca Marini we did not have him on because he's Valentino Rossi's brother but because he's a uh, a really enjoyable person to talk to and though Rossi comes up I, I think I think you'll enjoy this interview even without all the VR46 stuff is that right Simon? Yeah absolutely it is um, uh, at the end of the day we, we don't have guests on the podcast very often and when we do they're normally ones that are well picked for their expressiveness and Luca we asked to come on the podcast because he's an intelligent guy because he he says clever things you know lots of journalists have made the comparison especially in the latter half of the season that he's kind of become the new Andrea Davizioso as the person that you go to to get to explain complicated uh complicated things about MotoGP to you because he's really good at it um and and I think that really comes across in the in the interview you're about to hear. I think that he he displays how carefully he thinks about everything, um, and he explains a lot of complicated things very easily to to schmucks like you and I. <laughs> schmucks, that's my word. Find your own word. Um, yeah. So without further ado, let's hand it back to past versions of Simon and myself, arguably ones with more energy in the tank, but. We'll we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. Compliance uh, was pretty drained. All right. Yeah. I, th- I feel like after a week off, we're we're in a better state. But anyway, enough about us. Uh, on to Luca Marini. On to Luca Marini. Our guest today, Luca Marini, VR forty six Ducati. Luca has finished his first thirty six races as a MotoGP rider before finally retiring at Sepang. How do you feel about that streak, Luca? Because I think, on the one hand, really, really impressive, and I'm not, I'm not sure anybody else has ever done that. I've not checked, but ah, okay. yeah, I, I, I have to check. Yeah, check, check. Yeah, check it, please. I'm curious. On on the other hand, you know, some writers will tell you that, like, you need to crash to know when you crash. H- how do you feel about that? Did you feel like it's 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 basically it's good to stay on at all costs or did you at any point go oh it's weird that i haven't crashed in a race yet because you still have well you have in thailand but you know sincerely not um 
it's not no both condition situation it's not weird but it's not uh, try to don't crash at all cost i try to go at the limit push at the limit uh, every time more mm, many times nearly to crash and maybe saving a uh, big closing in the front uh, um, it can happen but uh, is that just that i have a good feeling with the front tire i feel it very well and i try to to go on the limit and i try to understand during practice and qualifying where is the limit so sometimes it happens that i crash but uh, when i arrive at the race more or less i know in which point i can uh, be a little bit more aggressive, risk a little bit more, or try to avoid any mistakes. Uh, for example, um, here we have turn four, that every time is called the tire on, on turn four, so we need to be a little bit more uh, clever in that uh, corner, but uh, in all the other lap, push at, uh, at the limit uh, from the first lap and try to, to do your best performance every time. And for me, when you can finish a race, you you gain a lot of more experience. You understand uh, a lot of things because during practice, you never have the opportunity for make so many laps in a row. One, because uh, it's very difficult uh, physically. And second, also because uh, you don't have time. You need to try different things. And um, the practice time is not enough. We know that you spend maybe more time than most riders really studying the data, studying all the information you have. Do you think that helps you to know when you can push and when you don't have to push because you have so much more information maybe than someone who gets off the bike and leaves the garage? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, yes, this is um, um, something that I like to do. I like to speak a lot uh, with my data engineer but also with uh, Idalio Gavira, that is our rider coach, uh, is one of very important figure for me. Um, we know very well every corner of the track. Uh, I try to spend a lot of time uh, on like overtaking of spots uh, or uh, the first few laps of the race that is a critical part of the race. Uh, try to understand how you, you need to manage that critical situation and try to do your best results. I know that maybe it's easier going just out of the garage and push at 100%. Sometimes I do it. Uh, for example, when you do a qualifying lap, you need to switch off uh, the brain and just uh, give 100% and one extra uh, every time. So also uh, I am able to do this when, when there is uh, the occasion to do it. Do you think this is, is this your natural style or is this something that maybe you've learned? Because we see the same, you know, uh, we've just spoken to Jack Miller and he described Paco as a calculator. Uh, so maybe it's something that, you know, is it something that the academy guys have because you, you study it from each other or is it something that comes naturally? Yes. Yes. Also, uh, uh, myself is uh, natural because also in my life, it's like every time like this. And my girlfriend uh, every time tell me these things. 
on different situation. But trust me, it's like this every time. Um, but yeah, we saw Vale in the in the past years when we were younger inside of the box, working a lot uh, until late night. And I think that he can he, he pass this method to us. And uh, also when we train at home, uh, it is more or less like this because we, we finish one run, but then we, we start to speak uh, on the technical side for how to improve, uh, giving us advices each other. In, uh, in some sport, I'm better than the others. So in other sport, I'm worse. So uh, like when we train with uh, WinniGP, with Ovale, yeah. uh, Celestino is the strongest. So I try to ask him some advices, something, uh, try to look at him, uh, try to improve uh, because I want to beat him. Uh, or when uh, we go to the ranch, that I'm the strongest, every time uh, they can ask me advices, uh, we, we speak about uh, the setting of the bike, the lines, uh, something like this, and we try to improve because everybody wants to, want to win and uh, we want to, to beat uh, the, the other rider. You brought up the academy. This is this is maybe going to be like a, a weird sounding question, but just as a, as a structure, how much of your life would you say in terms of percentage do you spend in some way adjacent to the academy? Like training, talking to them? Like, is it a family? Is it a job? Is it a family job? Do you guys speak on WhatsApp about TV shows that you watch? Do you guys only train together and then go away and never talk to each other? How, how does it work? No, no, we we spent a lot of time together. It's not just uh, training together. We are uh, a group of friends and we we talk about uh, everything uh, like uh, Serie TV, Netflix uh, or other sports uh, or uh, watching together F1 uh, or playing video games together. Well, we are, uh, first of all, a friends group and then uh, a group of uh, a training group uh, and then uh, competitors uh, on track uh, so i think that we were managing uh, this situation uh, really well in these years because uh, it's not easy uh, especially when you arrive at Moto in motogp because everything is different in motogp uh, but we are uh, we're doing great and i hope that uh, can keep going like this but also, I hope that uh, will be a little bit worse because uh, when uh, the relationship is more difficult, uh, uh, it's a sign that you are fighting for the victory. <laughs> so it's good also have this. That was, that was exactly what I was going to ask. And just, you know, generally so much success for the system, but it also means that more and more VR46 brand riders are coming to MotoGP and you're one of them. And there's a VR46 team with just two rides. So, that, you know, you're all good friends, but you're also all fighting for, well, for your dream, basically. And it's it's even, I guess, even weirder than in a normal team scenario of just being friends yes. with your teammate. Yes, much more weird. Yeah, it's very difficult situation, uh, but uh, fortunately we are, um, everybody's really smart and clever to understand this situation and we want to keep it uh, clean and uh, normal when we are at home in, in the best way. And I think that uh, when you are not fighting for the victory, 
it's easier. But uh, if uh, in next years uh, will be that uh, more uh, more riders uh, can compete for the victory against Peko, uh, me, Bed, uh, and also Franco, because I think that uh, all of four of us uh, we can win uh, in MotoGP, uh, will be more difficult because. Uh, this is uh, the life, this is the, the human behavior, and this is something impossible in, in something so important for your life. It's not just uh, your career, it's changing your life. So just to be smart and uh, try to keep uh, the relationship uh, in the best way with, uh, within um, clever people. If kind of answered what I was going to ask, but it seems like uh, one of the things that's important to be in the academy is to be smart, to be intelligent, because you look at the, ah. the guys who are there and you're all, you know, the guys I would say are, are the most intelligent in MotoGP. Ah, yeah, this is, uh, this is good. I think uh, it can be like this. Um, it's just not that you have to be intelligent but you have to grow you have to understand learn and uh, improve yourself also on uh, on the human side not just only as a rider this also academy teach to us this is not one people that is teaching yeah. but uh, the experience shared uh, make us improve because i think you you do things that no one else does in racing uh, to help grow? Because I know that uh, you've had some weekends like visiting art museums with Aldo, Drudy. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. That's not anything to do with racing, but it helps no, no. maybe make you a, a better, stronger person. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like this. Uh, it's, uh, have a good time also out of the track, um, but uh, with a feeling of competition every time, every day. Uh, this, is, uh, this is nice. So did you already, like earlier in the season, did you already get the like the proper feel for the VR46 Academy competition, I guess? Because what I'm trying to say is you had a, a difficult start with the new Ducati, like pretty much everyone. It was, it was not the easiest bike. Marco had a really good start with the old bike and Celestino was doing really, really well in Moto2. Was there a po any point for you where you were like, guys, slow down, please? No. Give me, give me time to... No, 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 never, never, never. At the end, at the end, I'm really, I'm really happy when the the, the other guys from the academy, but in general, Italian riders uh, can achieve good results because I think that is nice for our uh, nation, for our sport, and give me a biggest motivation, bigger motivation when I saw them achieve good results like uh, Peko did this year. He made an amazing season, um, demonstrating that he was the strongest this season. So it's nice uh, um, be close to him and saw him uh, working every day for arrived at this target, for arrived at uh, fighting for the winning uh, the, the championship. How difficult, how different would the situation be for Italian riders without the academy? Because Italy is doing very well at the minute, but mainly academy. Yes, 
but uh, I think there are also negatives aspect to be in the academy. Eh? There is not, uh, it's never uh, all positive, but in all the situation. So I think that uh, also the other, uh, the other riders outside of the academy, they are doing a great job. Um, and they improved a lot uh, in these years. I also Arbolino yeah. made an amazing job and now he's one of the strongest in Moto2. And, um, but I think that they are looking at us and uh, they keep us uh, as, a, as a target, try to beat us because uh, they want to demonstrate that they are better. But uh, this is nice because we, we have uh, mm, our men to beat every year inside of us. So we can uh, focus on just uh, ourselves and try to push behind our, our limits. Uh, but we are also a good uh, uh, motivation for, uh, for the riders outside of the academy. I, I have to ask, you said some negatives to being in the academy. Are you talking just the, the, the overall view of it? Because obviously you enjoy life within VR46, but I mean, there are, what, do you, what do you see as the negatives? Can you, can you tell us? No, no, it's no. impossible to tell. Impossible. <laughs> will, you tell will you tell Valentino Rossi what the negatives are? <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. Every, more or less every year we have uh, like a meeting all together mm. speaking on the on what we can improve because uh, if you look behind we made an amazing step forward within the academy it was not so easy or uh, nice uh, how it is now we struggle in some situation we need to adapt we need to change uh, the system uh, sometimes uh, but I'm really, really satisfied uh, how it works now. And uh, also people that are working in the academy, they make uh, a good job because uh, it's not easy follow and manage uh, so many riders, so many fast riders, especially. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Val, what do you want to move on to? Wait. <laughs> that sounds that sounds really blunt. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I really like this topic. <laughs> it, it we talked about it in Sepang with you. Yeah. Uh and then since then it's become a real topic in World Superbikes as yeah, well. Yeah. And it seems like uh 
there are a lot of people who agree with what you think. <laughs> Fantastic. This make me really happy. Um, yeah. Every time I, I say it's something not for making a disadvantage for a smallest rider is just to be more fair. And um, looking at the answer that uh, Alvaro made to, to this topic, uh, comes to my mind that uh, is, uh, is not correct because he said that uh, uh, people, rider with more weight has also more strength, have also more strength, but this is not correct because uh, we need to work on uh, low our weight. So we cannot work on the strength and we need to find the correct balance to have the enough strength for riding the bike for uh, 45 minutes, yeah. but the weight uh, as less as possible for, uh, especially for the rear tire, yes. for the wear of the rear tire, because now the level is so high. Um, the acceleration of the bike with the horsepower is not a problem now, but there are few aspects like the, the rear tire temperature and the rear tire wear that is uh, something clear, something uh, about physics. It's not uh, just an idea. Uh, we have the data. Uh, Ducati have data to explain this. And just try to make the, this sport even more fair, even more spectacular for everybody. And I think that also for the smallest rider, it will be not a problem put two or three kilos more on their body trying to work more on their strength, on their resistance for make even better performance. So it's not to make a minimum weight so high, impossible to arrive to them. Yes. It's just to make a, an average. And uh, they can put a little bit more weight on their body, just working a little bit more on the gym. While it's impossible for us, go lower with the weight yes. because uh, I tried to go lower also when I was in Moto2 also last year, but uh, after uh, 68 kilos less, I don't have the strength for make the race. So I need to stay around 70. Uh, more, uh, I can do it, but it's, then it's worse for the bike. Yeah. Low, I can do for safety reason, yeah. because I don't have uh, enough uh, energy for finish the race. So, so would you would you say because I remember it was a, it was a thing in Formula One? Would you say it's also a thing in motorcycle racing that some riders are having to eat unhealthy, basically, so not not eat as much as they should to to keep their weight competitive? Have you encountered that much? Ah, uh, depends on what you want. Uh, if you want right. to try go as low as possible, you don't eat. Uh, yeah, it's not uh, safety. Is something also dangerous. But I don't know if in your mind, uh, the problem in that moment is that one, you want to do everything yeah. for uh, achieve your best result because this is your life. This is the, the most important thing for us. And if you need to, I, for example, uh, uh, Moto3 riders that are really, really tall, they do these kind of things in the, during the weekend. Mm -hmm. They just uh, eat uh, like this of rice. <laughs> And just they make the race like this. Okay, Moto3 is less stressful on physical side. Um, but in MotoGP is impossible to do this. So go lower on the, off, on my minimum weight is impossible to go. So 
put a minimum weight that is average, not so high, will be will be important for everybody. It will be fair. So the, the other sport that I love watching is cycling. And a few years ago, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, they were all trying to be as light as possible yes. as well. And then in the end, they found that uh, the climbers especially were missing days of racing because they got sick all the time. Mm -hmm. They were always getting colds and flus, yeah. food poisoning, because their bodies were weaker. Was it the same for you when you were trying to keep the weight low? Exactly. It's like this. Uh, it's like this. Uh, is, uh, the human body needs to have uh, enough kilocalories for energy for make a, for make a performance. Yeah. You need enough energy, no? But you want to go low on, on your weight, so this is the aspect. But now, also, they saw... In, in cycling, that uh, taller uh, uh, cyclists are better now yeah. because they can have more uh, power. Exactly. They, the kilowatt of uh, is more. So in my opinion, uh, also for the, the, uh, the riders that are really short and uh, with less weight, they can put a little bit more weight, just train more, eat more, and uh, the level will be the same. While now also the smallest rider are trying to keep their weight low yes. because they want to use their advantage. It's, uh, it's correct. But uh, for them, put more kilos will be just something better, in my opinion. Just going back to what, you know, what, what Alvaro Bautista said, do you, do you have any sympathy to the argument that you know, for the shorter riders, it's harder to warm their tires in the wet and all that? And just generally that... Sometimes in sports, there is an optimal body build. Like he said, obviously, the you know, basketball. If, if, you're, if mm -hmm. you're not tall enough, you can't, really, you can't really do it. Even the, like you look at Steph Curry, he looks very small when he plays basketball. He's a, a meter 90. Yeah, no, he's, yeah, not, he's small. not small at all. Um, <laughs> do you have any sympathy for that? Or is, is it just, you know, obviously for you, you want to be in this sport and you don't want the fact that you're a bit taller than some people to compromise your life's work so i guess that's that's the main feeling for you in, in this regard how, how sympathetic are you to the other other side uh, i start saying that uh, what alvaro say is correct with less weight is more difficult put uh, the temperature on the tires but uh, first of all wet condition rare cold yeah happens just one or two times and not in the race uh, maybe FP3 in the morning, warm up, can happen, yes. And then for them is a disadvantage, sure. But maybe if they put more weight on themselves and put some kilos on the bike, they solve the problem. So this, this argument never, uh, it's, it's, it's not correct to speak about this because at the end, the race are every time on dry condition because the calendar is made also for have the better condition in every country. So yeah, it's correct with less weight, it's more difficult to put uh, temperature on the tires, but uh, the cold condition and wet condition never happens. Uh, and if they put uh, five kilos more, they will have the temperature in the tires. So three on the body, two on the bike, perfect. And uh, about my, my life in general, I'm really happy to be tall because I'm more beautiful than the other riders. 
so it's fantastic uh, thinking that when I I will not uh, be uh, a MotoGP rider I go at home and look at the mirror and I said okay I struggled yes but uh, wow I'm beautiful and I can be an actor or a model uh, for the future and uh, it's uh, not a problem so fantastic for sure one of the best things about being a MotoGP rider now is that you get to fly business class and not an economy wow. with the legs this is uh, <laughs> this is something uh, that changed your life <laughs> change your life but uh, there are mechanics higher than me and flying in economy and uh, for them is uh, really really difficult so yeah we are lucky to fly in business um Looking back to the, the start of your career, you didn't do so much Moto3, more Moto2 in, in different paddocks. Is that in part because of your size? Yeah, and, and only for this. Okay. Yeah, only for this. Um, I remember uh, very well the moment that Vale told me, you go to, you go to Moto2. You need to go to Moto2. And I said, uh, no, I like Moto3. I want to be a Moto3 World Championship one year. But uh, there was uh, Balda with the yeah. team uh, Gresini that year that he made one year of Moto3, but he was uh, already tall yeah. and he struggled a lot in the World Championship. And uh, he made uh, to me this example and he said, uh, trust me, go in Moto2. In fact, it was the very good idea uh, with the Moto2, Moto2 bike was everything easier for me because uh, I remember last year in Moto3, I grew up like more 10 tens, 10, 10 uh, centimeters, even more. So last year it was impossible to stay in the bike. Uh, it was really, really good opportunity for me uh, competing the, in the European Championship for one season. And uh, the feeling with the Moto2 bike was everything more natural and more easy for me. So, so when, you, when you say Moto3, you mean the, the Spanish Championship, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you think we'll see more people taking this route in the yeah. future? Yeah, 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 yeah. Already yeah, this year there's been Also, Salats now. Yes. Salats this year is achieving really, really great result. And last year I struggled too much with the Moto3. Um, I don't know also, but it's difficult to find the place in Moto2 now. Eh? Yeah. Um, also, Carlos Tata is really tall for a Moto3. And for me, he's a good rider looking from the TV. Yeah. Uh, he can have a good potential, but... Uh, Keep going in Moto3 is not uh, it's not easy for them because smaller riders are more aerodynamics. Uh, uh, even if you stay low with your weight, uh, the the bike is so small that it's impossible to to ride for a for a taller rider. So sometimes uh, can be also an option uh, pass through the European Championship with the Moto2, like Alonso Lopez did. Yeah. yeah. In my opinion, uh, in the future, uh, riders need to think on this idea. Because if you win races in European Championship, you find a way to go into to pass through the Moto Moto Two World Championship. It's much easier win races in Moto Two World Championship in European Championship than fight for the victory in in Moto Three World Championship. Because Moto Three the level is high, and the the, the weight and the the height of the the riders make the difference. And. The way we've seen Moto3 the last few years with these big crazy packs where maybe not the fastest guys are the guys coming out on top, lots of 
dangerous moves. You know, I know that uh, like Mino has spoken a lot about it and how he feels about it. Yeah. Do you think that you don't really miss anything? By not being in Moto Three for that year, yes. Apart from maybe to learn the the tracks that we go to, I miss a lot. I missed a lot. I missed a lot. Uh, Moto Three is a difficult category, but uh, you learn a lot. Okay. You learn a lot that this is a jungle. This is uh, everybody's crazy in track. Moto Three, Moto Two, Moto GP. Trust me, everybody's crazy. Uh, just that in Moto GP. Is everybody is more smart, clever, and understand better the situation and the risk. Uh, but uh, you learn a lot in Moto3, in my opinion, it is very, very propedeutic um, category. Maybe a little bit too easy. Uh, I would like to see um, that the strongest riders win or uh, fight for the podium in every race, while sometimes happen that also slower riders are there. Uh, but this year, uh, Guevara made an amazing job and uh, he demonstrated that if you work alone, if you work well and you are strong, you have talent, you can uh, stay alone and uh, make your qualifying alone. And doesn't matter how you start because if you have the pace, you can go f forward and uh, go away. So this, in my opinion, all the, the other riders need to, to look at him. Luca, you said MotoGP is calmer. Um, you, you, you've ridden a lot at the front this year. You've had a lot of time at or near the back last year. Mm -hmm. There's, I think there's a perception within many MotoGP riders that at the front it's calm, but at the back, which the TV viewers don't see, it's just total mayhem, crazy... Jungle. Yeah, is it? He's a mess, he's a chaos, he's a incredible. Something incredible. Uh, but in all the categories like this, eh? But the TV stay in the front. Yeah. But uh, trust me, if you have another camera just uh, following the back, uh, the show is incredible. Uh, in all the three categories. Why don't you guys go to, to the door and say, hey, do picture in picture, show, show the madness in the second uh, Because, I don't know, they, they want to... It's more interesting the front. It's okay. more interesting the victory than the fight for the 14. But trust me, fighting for the 14 teaches you a lot of things. So one of the one of the reasons that we asked you to come on the podcast, we don't normally have many writer guests, but one of the reasons we asked is because we know that you give really good answers. You've, you know, I think all of the media center love you this ah, year, especially you. as as you know, without Valet without Davi, who were normally these guys that give us good, honest answers. Does it sometimes get you in trouble or no for speaking your mind, for, for speaking your mind, for being honest with us? No, 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 never, never, yeah. never. And I, I try to make my best also in the media debrief because I want to, to improve. Paul uh, break my balls every time because I need to be precise on the timing and uh, try to be interesting for everybody. Um, I like it because this is also part of myself, my character. And uh, I, I want to, to let the people know better our sports is uh, like my, one of my mission. I want to, this sport is incredible and uh, it's completely out of the world that uh, 
MotoGP is going down with the viewers. Why? Now, this is, uh, in my opinion, on track, uh, the best moment of the MotoGP era. And it's impossible that uh, people in, the, in all the world, uh, in all the countries, doesn't understand this. this. So is part of our uh, job, try to make the, the people uh, fall in love with the sport another time is part of your job and uh, I think that together will be better for all, all of us because there will be more money, more job for everybody and uh, everybody wants to earn more money. So this, in my opinion, is uh, one of the points of the future. Uh, make good results and make uh, our sport uh, see in all the, the country for, to, to more people, arrive to more people, a new generation. Why, why we ask is not because we heard about you like getting in trouble or anything like that. It's just the more general, you know, you see riders growing up within big corporate structures and they get PR training basically every week. And I think this is not to besmirch PR or anything like that. This is not to be mean, but the, the goal of PR usually is coach the rider to say as much as possible without really saying anything to where he generates the headlines that make it look like he's angry at somebody else, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Which, have you, like, have you brushed at all with that? Have you been given PR training or were you just told, hey, no, be never, yourself? Never, never, never. It's but working. But I think that it's now our, in our sport is not so usual, no, this kind of thing. I think that uh, riders are alone. This is not a sport team. We are alone and we are here competing for one team, yes, but at the end we are alone. So it's just something uh, on what you want, what you want to do. Uh, many riders doesn't want to do interviews, doesn't like media or something like this because they don't have time, they don't want to improve on this side or just they want focus on uh, be strong in, in track and then uh, piece off everything. For me, it's not correct. Communication is uh, from when I was a child. Uh, my father told me that is uh, very, very important every time. So I try to make uh, my best for improve. And uh, I would try to, to improve even more in the future with more uh, project, uh, try to arrive more to the new generation and to, to more people because we'll be better for everybody because our sports is one of the most beautiful sports in the world. And like I said before, it's out of the world that we don't have uh, people in the grandstands in, uh, in some circuit during the year. It's, uh, it's impossible. Uh, Simon's given me the, the go for the, for the final question. He's passed it over to me, so fair enough. Sure question, Valentin. <laughs> yeah, sure it's, question. A, it's, it's, it's a bit of a difficult one. As you, you and Alex Marquez have a certain thing in common. And this is a media-related question. You, I think, are the two MotoGP riders who have gotten asked the most about their brothers, maybe every, every other weekend or so. And as, as a media guy, I have to ask, is that annoying? Do you get tired of coming to a media session and sometimes, you know, somebody's asking you about Valentino Rossi? I mean, you're also a MotoGP rider. You, you probably, depends on how good the race was, but you probably want to talk about yourself. Um, I would not say that is annoying. This is not the correct word. I think that uh, it's just our life. 
Uh, Vale is my brother. It's impossible to talk about him. If other riders have another brother in the World Championship, they need to talk about their brothers. Like I need to talk about Pecco, because now he's uh, fighting for uh, maybe win the World Championship. So it's it's our job, is uh, working like this, and uh, it was never a problem for me. I'm uh, I'm really, really happy about... Uh, my brother and my relationship with him and uh, what he did in this sport is incredible in the history and will remain for for uh, for uh, all the years uh, in the future and uh, it's impossible don't uh, talk about him uh, about he have done uh, he, uh, it, so it's it's normal for me and it's not uh, bothering me uh, but i know that sometimes some kind of journalist is quite uh, heavy on this uh, this topic and maybe with them yeah at one point i arrived to to say uh, i don't answer uh, more I just <laughs> talk to what uh, or myself uh, because uh, okay four question five is okay no problem but 15 maybe is a little bit too much <laughs> so <laughs> Ask for make an interview with him because I cannot answer to all these questions. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Thank you That's so much. Lots of questions and lots of good answers. Uh, pleasure to have you on the podcast with us. Thank you so much and uh, see you next time I'm here. Thanks, Luca. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the commuter collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The commuter collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. And that's the interview. It was recorded uh, before the race weekend. It was recorded in Valencia. So we spoke to him at Valencia. I say we. Simon spoke to him at Valencia. I spoke to Simon and him through the magic of the internet. I was going to say the World Wide Web, but I'm not, I'm not sure that applies. Not quite um, that old. Yeah. Thankfully, he didn't like either crash 15 bikes or win the race by 30 seconds in Valencia to sort of overwrite the whole narrative surrounding him. But yeah, Simon, very, some really insightful stuff. And I think part of what I appreciated was the acknowledgement 
of the interesting situation at VR46 and you know the fact that it, it is stacking more and more riders in MotoGP while also trying to remain this you know friendly family but also getting increasingly professional i think that's you know i think it, it's it's cool that luca is also admitting this that it's it's probably going to be a weird situation sooner rather than later the more the more professional it gets uh because it's you know it's not even like the red bull junior team or the ktm academy or whatever it's you know it's not supposed to be that corporate cutthroat thing i guess but it's going to have to be i mean yeah it's it's the first time we've heard a writer inside the vr46 academy talk about the negatives of being inside the yeah. vr46 academy as well as the positives and i, th- I think luca covered off both sides of it really well um but it, it's no secret that with him starting the season next year on his current 2022 bike and with marco bezecchi doing the same thing with Paco bagnaia trying to defend a title and with Franco Morbidelli hopefully getting back a bit of form and, and starting to look better in the latter half of the season and with a new bike coming, the, there's potentially races where there's going to be four VR46 riders smashing each other out of the way at the front of a race, which is going to make Monday mornings at the ranch interesting. Um, and that's a, you know, that's a new lesson that they're going to have to learn how to cope with and how to deal with. Uh, and I think, getting a little bit of insight from Luca on kind of how on earth that's going to work was uh, is really, really good, really interesting. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think you're already a bit lucky this season dodging a, a small bullet in the fact that, you know, Franco, obviously none of them wanted Franco to be off form, but the fact that he was so off form made it so that he didn't sort of have to pick and choose between his Yamaha allegiances and his Rossi allegiances in the Fabio Quartararo Pekamanyaya title fight. But, you know, sooner or later, if, if the program keeps chugging along the way it does, something like that, it will come. And we will be incessantly talking about it because we're the media. That's that's what we do. Uh, another interesting point, and, you know, obviously this was pretty high on the agenda because of some World Superbike discussions, but it also, you know, is relevant in MotoGP. Obviously, the weight situation, uh, Luca being the tallest rider on the grid as per MotoGP.com data. I didn't measure all of them or anything, but, it, you know, that, yeah, that I, I'd correct. say he is from, from experience of standing next to them. I think three centimeters over Joan Mir and, and some other guys. And, uh, you know, the good news for him, I guess, is that in, in body type, he's a bit like me. He's really, I shouldn't say that because he's a, a MotoGP rider and I'm a schlub. So I, I, and also this is a podcast and people can't see how skinny you are. No, that is true. Yes. <laughs> Great, great, great audio content for everybody. <laughs> need to need to like attach a picture to every copy that comes out, like Spotify, Apple, and we're not doing that. But yeah, um, it is it is an interesting point to hear him say it because I think it is it is a discussion I don't have that strong of an opinion on because I both see the let's just make it more even argument and the you know the desire to mitigate any sort of physical impact. And to have it decided by you know skill and technology, but at the same time, the argument of you know well you can't play basketball if you're not tall, like the history is of basketball you can compare their heights obviously, and if you're below one eighty you have to be really specialized at something to make it there. Uh, you know that's fair, and maybe maybe it's fair to expect something similar in MotoGP. I mean Luca. If, if the height's such a problem, he could be a below average height point guard in, in basketball. But yeah, but at the same time, I think one thing that we can all agree on is if 
that sort of thing prevents riders from eating unhealthy, like developing unhealthy habits and, you know, spending a lot of time sick, as you as you alluded to in their interview, obviously that would be a net positive, generally. Yeah, I, th- I think it was really good to get his, his view on it at a time when it's become a bit of a topical issue. Um, and he obviously has strong views on it, but he's obviously thought about it quite a bit. And I'd imagine being around the the VR forty six academy and hanging around with writers like Andrea Mino has kind of really helped him form a a good opinion on both sides of the argument. Um, it, it's yeah, it, it's a tricky question because I get his points, but I also get why manufacturers are perhaps a little bit against the concept of bringing in some sort of a minimum weight, or you know. So yeah. It's it's not not an ideal situation, but it's good to get the viewpoint on it, and it definitely it's one of those chats that informs us going forwards as well, because it's not very often you get to spend so long, so in depth with a writer on a subject, um, and that's the, the the glory of having these guys in the podcast. It also, of course, um, led to the single greatest line that anyone has ever uttered on our podcast. Whenever he told us that he was a beautiful Italian man. Which again, and this is this is the official position of the podcast. I can say it now because I'm I'm acting as stand-in host. He is, in fact, a beautiful man. So you can you can you know you can use that as a as a box quote or whatever on his <laughs> Wikipedia page if you particularly want to. Um, so the other bit that I I really appreciated is you know what we like about Luca is he both like he's honest with us, but he also he understands that it's you know MotoGP needs interesting open personalities and i think there's a there's a realization from him that i think we also share that the sport does not currently have the eyeballs that it warrants and deserves for one reason or another and i i don't think rider personalities are a particularly integral factor to that but i do think that it's it's very conscious and admirable to see it as you know doing your part to help because he you know he does get paid for it but mostly he gets paid to be quick on the bike. So, you know, we appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, thanks to both him and the VR46 team, because I originally messaged to see if we could get Luca to appear at some time over the winter break. And they come back to me and said, oh, he's going on holidays before the break. Um, and obviously there's only one race left. It's the final race of the year. He's going to be super busy. And then 12 hours later, they came back to me again to say, actually, we can do it at we found an R in a schedule at Valencia to do it uh, and they managed to get it squeezed in. So, you know, it, it's thoroughly appreciated both for him and the team, but it also shows how he actually cares about, you know, speaking about yeah. his, his role and, yeah. and getting out there and doing that, um, which you know, is something we've covered at length, um, particularly actually recently around the whole Valentino Rossi legacy. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it, it's good to see that there are writers on the grid who get that, you know, part of their role is is being a spokesperson and a role model in the yeah. sport. And, you know, I, I don't think it should be every writer because some of them are just kind of introverts, honestly, and that's that's okay. But if, you, if you're the sort of person who likes to chat, you know, it helps. It really helps. Yeah. It, it, it helps the sport, I think, if you tap into that. And... Then obviously the the other side of that coin is you have to rely on the media to not then make a nonsense headline out of it and try to stir up a sort of a feud which isn't really there, which you know that's more of a consideration for us and obviously something I can say for us that we we try to be 
reasonable about it yeah. and very, you know, very honest and not try to make up things that aren't there, but also try to tell things that are there, even if they're not entirely always comfortable. But it's also it's also a lesson to um, any other writers that would like to come on our podcast in the future. The best way to uh, to not form a feud is to not speak to us for two minutes a day. It's to speak to us for an hour at a time because then you get to explain your ideas. Indeed. Indeed. So that's, you know, that's a, I'm, I'm sure, that's I'm the sure lesson. they're all listening. That's the right takeaway. <laughs> um, so next up for the winter, uh, we have a series of interviews with Tom Yovich. Am I, am I saying that correctly? Tom Yovich yeah. coming up, uh, technical MotoGP interviews with uh, Toby and Tom and also Simon, I believe might be on some of them. Not me, because I'm a, I'm technologically just offensively stupid, so wouldn't be much of a, wouldn't be much of an input there. But yeah, and we'd we'd very much like your questions to podcasts at theRace.com, your voice note questions for the technical episodes with Tom, but also general questions because we quite like to do a general Q and A episode like we often sometimes yeah. do. So that's always a bunch of fun, and beyond that. Expect our our usual top tens. I don't know, Simon, if your top ten is going to be the same as as what you 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 did on the website. I would be surprised if it was. Let's be oh, honest. Dear. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, and I'd be well, surprised if your top ten and my top ten are anything alike, Val. Nah, I'm already I'm already cooking up some absolute garbage number one pick that people are going <laughs> to absolutely hate. I've got. I'm not kidding when I say I have four candidates and. Very annoyingly, because like before Valencia, I had my mind made up, and then Valencia kind of sort of changed it a little bit, which maybe one race in twenty shouldn't do. But look, we're all human. We'll recency see what we bias. come up with. Yeah, uh, recency bias sucks, but what can you do? Exactly, exactly. When, when you do content like this weekly, when you have twenty-one races a year, yeah. you can't remember the, the like the eighteenth race whenever it comes to race twenty-one. So. Yeah, I can like I can't I can't even remember Valencia at this point. So good good expertise. Anyway, from from myself, from Simon, from Toby, from Matt Beer, from our assorted guests, thank you for listening this year and stay tuned for more stuff also this year. Don't know why I did a farewell there, but you know, goodbye. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.